you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, are you ready for the word? We are in a series of messages uh, taken from a sermon that Jesus gave on the top of a mountain to his disciples, surrounded by thousands of people. And this sermon, or this teaching, is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And if you're following along in your Bible or on your device, you can turn to chapter 5 of Matthew, beginning in verse 17. This series is entitled Redefined, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He redefined our understanding of the Father. He redefined our understanding about life and about ourselves. How many of you know Jesus is still in the process of doing the very same thing? For those of you who have already started your journey of letting him be the center of your life, you know about the change. Your values, your priorities, the way you perceive God, uh, how you perceive yourself, um, even how you do life is in the process of changing. I didn't grow up in a household of faith. Uh, Our religion was going to the beach and barbecuing on Sunday. By the time I was a teenager, I had all kinds of stereotypes about Christians. One evening, we were partying at a nightclub, and one of the guys sitting at our table said something about God. And I gave this quick remark. I said, oh, are you one of those people that wears Holy Moses sandals? And I said that in front of everybody at the table. And without being offended, he came back to me and he said, "Um, have you ever read the Bible? And I said, no. And he said, you know, you ought to read the Bible. It's an amazing book. A couple years later, someone said to me, God is actually here right now. That was a foreign concept to me. He's here, he's listening, and you can experience him if you would be willing to open up your life to him and let him come in. And so a couple days later, I said, God, if you're real, I want to know. And that was my way of opening the door of my heart and inviting him to come in. Five years later, I wrote a letter to God. I'd like to read it to you today. You'll see why in a moment. I said, Father... I agree to give you center place in the innermost part of my being. I give you control. I give up control of my life, my goals, my possessions, my will, my decisions, and I give my entire life to you. I love you, and I want to serve you for the rest of my life, and I pray that you will fulfill this through me. Then I put Philippians 2.13. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You know, while we were singing, I, I was thinking about this letter that I wrote years ago. And uh, to be honest, I felt like um, it was a little extreme and I felt um, kind of a little lack of confidence about sharing it for some reason. But when we sang that song and said, to him who gave it all for us, I give him my all, 
I just realized, you know, he's worth it. He's, there's no need to hold back or be shy about giving our lives to him because he gave all for us. And we can say that, we can live that with confidence. Well, here's the point of sharing that letter. When Jesus came into my life, he changed me. I went from somebody who was making fun of Christians openly to being somebody who wanted to live for God and let him be the center of my life. Uh, Here's an interesting thing about that letter. I wrote it 32 years ago on today's date. It was July 23rd. And I had no idea that three years after I wrote that letter, I would marry an amazing woman on the same day, July 23rd. Today we celebrate 29 years. (laughs) When you receive Christ, you receive a new identity. You receive a new destiny. The title of this series is Redefined. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we take a moment here now to connect with you in our hearts. And Lord, we're hearing these words that uh, you redefine life. But Lord, unless we get a personal experience that's from you, an insight and understanding revealed by your Spirit, it's just words. God, I pray that you would take these words and that you would bring them to touch our hearts deep inside and that you would make it real and you would allow us to know that we know that we know that you make all the difference in life. So, God, we invite you to be our teacher here today, our revealer, our counselor, our healer, God, in your sovereignty, I just pray that you would just be among us, just abiding with us and us in you, and allowing us to hear your voice, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew wrote this account to a Jewish audience. The Jews hearing these words would have understood exactly what Jesus meant when he said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. The Jews had lived under the old covenant for 1,500 years. Under the Old Covenant, God instructed them to bring a lamb that was perfect, without defect, and without blemish. And then by proxy, the sins of the people would be transferred to the lamb, and the perfect state of the lamb would be credited to the people. It was an exchange of sin for perfection. It was a type and shadow of the reality that would be fulfilled in Jesus. Every day, the priest would repeatedly offer the same sacrifices, but they could never really take away sin. 
But when Jesus offered himself, he fulfilled the law for all time by a single sacrifice. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And sometimes our thinking gets a little fuzzy when we think about what does that mean for us. Some people assume, since Jesus forgave us, that we don't need to fulfill God's moral law. They say we're under grace, and uh, so it doesn't really matter what we do because Jesus has us covered, right? And for those of us who who have had similar thoughts, uh, listen to what Jesus says next. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So in this verse, Jesus affirms scripture is inspired by God. Now, some people think the Bible does contain spiritual truth in general, but they wouldn't rely on it in detail. But Jesus said, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In the next verse, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it very clear that we need to live according to things like the Ten Commandments. Now, not to earn God's favor, but to demonstrate our love for God and our love for others. Jesus goes on to say, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's an amazing standard. How can you have righteousness greater than a Pharisee? You know, in describing his B.C. days, the Apostle Paul said he was more righteous than anyone. He said, if others had reason to be, confidence in their, to be confident in their own efforts, he said, I even more. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and for righteousness I obeyed the law without fault. In Jesus' day, it was understood that no one had greater righteousness than a Pharisee. And if none of us are better than a Pharisee, then how can we enter the kingdom of heaven if Jesus said your righteousness had to be better than that? Sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, that would be unfair if you were qualified for a certain position. But since none of us are qualified for this position in heaven, it's actually good news that it's not based on performance, but it's based on relationship. I'd like to share with you a little video that helps illustrate uh, what Jesus did in relation to you and I and to sin. So I want to invite the tech team to go ahead and play that.
Uh, that illustration is pretty cool. I want to talk about how did Jesus do that, in fact. Remember the lamb of the old covenant? Jesus, like that lamb, he became sin. In fact, he became our sin. And it was so traumatic that it almost killed him. The Bible says that he sweat drops of blood when he became our sin. In fact, sin of all humanity. And then once he became sin, another spiritual law went into play, and that is the result of sin is death. And so within 24 hours, he was crucified on the cross. And so the illustration there uh, gives you the idea that sin is done away with completely. But uh, you all know, if you've been serious about trying to walk with God, that we struggle with it every day, correct? So I want to explain uh, how that video applies, or to which part uh, does it apply. You need to keep in mind there are three aspects uh, of sin. Sin has a certain power to influence us. And sin has a penalty. And sin is very much present. These are the three Ps of sin. The power, the penalty, and the presence. And when Jesus came and he became our sin, and then he took that to the cross and brought it to death, he dealt with the power of sin. It no longer has absolute control over you. When you didn't know the Lord, didn't have a relationship with him, I mean, we, we were happy non-Christians. We enjoyed partying. It was fun. We didn't have a conscience about it. Life was good. But when you came to know the Lord, all of a sudden there was a conviction in your heart. And there began this struggle about, is this okay? And there began to be like a wrestling match that goes on inside. And whereas before you knew the Lord, you really didn't have a choice. You just lived in that state of a sinful lifestyle. After you became became a Christian, God broke its power, and now you have a choice. That's the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. The believer doesn't have a choice. They're just living in the kingdom of darkness. But the believer now has a choice, and every day it's a struggle to choose whether or not I want to set my mind on the Spirit and live by faith and follow God or not. So Jesus dealt with the power of sin. He also dealt with the penalty of sin. Past, present, and future. Everything you've ever done, the Lord has forgiven. And I want you to think about that for a moment and just let that sink in. Everything you've ever done in the past, everything you will ever do in the future, it's all forgiven and there's no penalty. And I want you to think for a moment what does that feel like to know that you're completely, totally, 100% forgiven? That's amazing. But there's one part that will be complete when we go to see the Lord, but not yet, and that is the presence of sin is still with us. And so Paul said in Romans 7.23, he says, I find that sin is present in the physical members of my body. And so when Jesus took away the power and the penalty of sin, Colossians 2.11 says that was a spiritual circumcision. There was a removal, there was a cutting away of the sinful nature. But it was a spiritual circumcision. It's something that happens in the innermost part of your being. And so in your spirit, 
You're completely forgiven and washed clean and made holy. This is the essence of who you are, and this is how God sees you. But in your body, the physical body, sin is still present. And that's why the body will die, but your spirit will go to be with the Lord. Life is a test. One day the Lord said to Cain, why are you down? He said, you know, if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. But if you don't do well, then sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. And what Jesus has done by breaking the penalty and the power of sin is he's brought us back to a place where we can actually live out what the Lord said in relation to sin. Right now, it's still present. It actually acts as a test to help build your spiritual muscles. You know, you might be strong physically. You might be strong mentally. You might be strong emotionally. But how many of you are strong spiritually that you're able to resist temptation? And God wants to develop your spiritual muscles by, by allowing sin to be present. Sin is actually something to help you develop resistance training, just like you do in the gym. And the more you resist, the stronger you get. So I want to encourage you to persevere and to hang tough when the going gets rough because God is developing your spiritual muscles so that you can become like Christ. He's, he's, he's recreating us in the image of Christ. And you can do it when you live by faith, when you allow him to live in and through you. I want to give you some practical how-tos in doing this. One good way to think about how do I apply this in life is to consider the armor of God. You know, you have the helmet of salvation, which protects the mind, your thought life. You have the breastplate of righteousness, which gives you a sense of well-being. It's very common for us to be tempted to substitute the armor of God for a counterfeit. I'll give you an example. And this happens from when we're young. Let's say uh, somebody grows up in a home and it's not a very healthy environment. And uh, dad makes a lot of foolish decisions. He makes foolish social decisions. He makes foolish financial decisions. And his little son, who's growing up watching him throughout life in this home, he says to himself, I could do better than that. And he gets in an argument with his dad, and his dad says, no, it's this way. And the son says, no, it's this way. And his dad's bigger and older and stronger. And he just kind of gets quiet in his heart. And he, he kind of cuts off, and he gets silent inside. But in his mind, he's arguing. He's going, no, I'm right. I know I'm right. And we all need a sense of feeling justified. We all need to be validated. The question is, how do we get that need met? And sometimes we can try to devise our own righteousness by having this attitude, I'm right and you're wrong. Now, the son may actually be right, but in the state of judging his dad, that statement can translate into, I'm better. And in that attitude of I'm better, he thinks that he's putting on this kind of protective attitude of I'm right, you're wrong, that kind of justifies and validates himself. But what it's really doing is it's leaving an open door for pride to come into his life. And the very thing that he thinks is protecting him 
is actually setting him up for a fall because pride comes before the fall. And so this, this whole idea of, you know, my state of being right is a substitute for accepting the breastplate of righteousness that we can have from our relationship with Jesus. We make decisions in the innermost part of our being in an effort to protect ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with protection. We all need it. But the question is, how do we get it? And who are we trusting? The problem with substitutes is that they never last. His method of protecting himself, the son, is a substitute for the righteousness that he can have through a relationship with the Lord. And without, without really knowing this gift of righteousness, we struggle with our self-image. We do. We struggle in that area. Let me give you some examples. You know, when we don't really know that God has forgiven us, and we have this sense of right standing, uh, we can develop an orphan heart. This is up on the screen here. Just take a look at the middle area, security. A person who doesn't know their standing with Christ, they don't know that he's given them this state of well-being. They can feel insecure. They can feel a lack of peace. But a person who knows the Father heart of God, they know his love and that he's given them this free gift, they're at peace and they're at rest. We can go to the next one. Say the need for approval. A person who doesn't know the righteousness that we have from God can have an orphan heart and then they strive for praise. They strive for approval and acceptance. But the person who knows this gift from God, they know they're totally accepted in God's love and that they're justified. They're justified by his grace. I don't have to strive for it. I don't have to try and fight for it. I don't have to create it. And then there's one more. In the area of self-image, there can be self-rejection from comparing yourself to others. But when we know our value to God, then there's a po- we're positive and affirmed because we know we have much value to God. And so, in summary, what I want to say is God has redefined your image. He's redefined your standing with him. Jesus redefined your right standing with him. He redefined your status with God. He he redefined your position and your place with God. He redefined your condition before God. Jesus perfected the law and the prophets to make us perfect before God. Remember the old covenant and the lamb and the exchange was a type and shadow of the reality that would be fulfilled in Jesus and fulfilled in your life and my life through our relationship with him. When we understand what Jesus has done for us in this passage, It'll free us from trying to live our lives according to our own strength, our own efforts, our own devices. We don't have to strive to lift ourselves up. We simply trust in the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for this amazing gift, Lord, that you have given us. You are in this process of redefining who we are. And where does our validity come from? Where does our security come from? And Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to be able to see the shortcoming of the old ways that we have operated in all these years. God, I ask that you would guide us in being able to exchange that for something greater, something permanent and unchanging that's not dependent on what my spouse thinks about me or what my neighbor thinks about me or what my boss or my friends think because you never change. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to invite you to take a moment and just ask the Lord, God, how can I take this and apply it in my life? And if you would just take a few moments in the privacy of your heart to ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? How is this at work in me? I want to give you some time just to do some business with God. And while you're doing that, I want to invite the worship team to come on up. So whatever it is that the Lord is showing you, I want to encourage you to take some time Take some time to respond. If you have something that's clear to you, I want to give you a chance to say yes to God. While you're praying, I also want to address uh, another group in the room here today. As you're listening to me talk about a relationship with God, that's something that's been on your mind and heart lately. In fact, you know that God's been getting your attention. And today you're here because of that. You're searching. You're wanting to experience Him. And if you've never made a formal choice to open your life to Him and to invite Him to be a part of your life, I want to give you a chance to do that today. And the way we'll do that is, well, first of all, it's just a decision that you make. And God knows. He, he knows everything. And then I want to give you a chance to express that by praying. What we'll do is I'll pray out loud, and you can just hitchhike on my words. God will hear you. And before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And so if that describes you, I want to invite you to go ahead and look up at this time. And when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that's something that you'd like to do, go ahead and look up at this time, and then we'll pray in a moment. Okay, I see you there. Very good. And in the back, yes, I see you there. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. Right here? Okay. 
Yes, I see you there. Anybody else? In the back, yes, I see you there. And good, let's pray. Father in heaven, I've been sensing you getting my attention lately. And so now I'm here. And I'm saying yes. Making the decision to open up to you. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to me. I invite you to come into my life. Make yourself real to me. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the things I've done. Lord, you know what they are. I thank you for Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And today, I accept him and his forgiveness for me. I invite your spirit into mine. And I ask that you would cleanse me from all the guilt. And if you're praying this prayer with me right now, I want to invite you to just receive God's spirit of forgiveness. It's for you. Right here, right now. And let him come in and remove the guilt or any shame or any condemnation. God, as your people are receiving you and your cleansing and your healing, Lord, I ask that you would seal it the work that you have done and allow them to know deep in their heart the reality of your grace. And Lord, I pray for each person who is praying right now that you would uh, give them a new start and show them your way of being able to do life. And I pray that you would make them the kind of people you want them to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.